You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, hello, good morning, Midtown family, and it looks like uh, lots of other extended family here this morning. I do see some new faces, so so glad that you're here. And I'll say from the start, you've already won, way to go. You showed up on on New Year's Eve to go to worship, so way to go. That means you guys probably don't need to make any resolutions. It's all the people who didn't come that have some work to do. You guys are doing great. Uh, Really are glad that you're here. I do see some new faces, though, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Justin, serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. And whether you're from Austin and you're actually just visiting for the first time, checking out a church, we're really glad that you're here. And I think it looks like there's a lot of family members and stuff that are here too. And so welcome you from outside of town as well. Our hope always on Sundays is that you experience God's love for you. I know I've got a whole clan of two rows of my family there, so excited to have them there. Uh, especially we've got uh, some of Brenda's family, some of the matriarchs and patriarchs of the family. So uh, Aunt Deletta, Aunt Wynetta, and uh, Uncle Kendall especially, glad to have you guys here joining us this morning. We are uh, kind of starting a new sermon series this morning. You're like, what does that mean, kind of starting a new sermon series? It means we've titled it something different, but we're actually still just picking up in the book of John where we're teaching through the book of John. If you were with us during Advent, we spent the Advent season doing four weeks through uh, what's kind of known as the prologue of John, the first 18 verses where, where John is just going into great detail about how Jesus has come in the flesh and all that was happening cosmically within the Trinity and sending Jesus in the form of a baby to join, and we learned to dwell with us. And so we're really just picking up off of that series, but we're entitling, entitling it something different called Encounters with Jesus because over the next five weeks, we're going to see different people that meet Jesus along the way. And we're going to look at those scriptures and look at the encounters that people had with him. So it's going to be really fun uh, for us to do that together. Today, we get to look at John the Baptist's encounter with Jesus. So I'm excited uh, to to look at that with you guys this morning. But what I thought I would do since I get to kind of kick off this this, uh, five-week sermon series is take a little bit of a step back first just to talk about like the purpose of John's writing. Like what was John meaning and why did he write this book? And then why would he then actually include these encounters? Because John's actually pretty unique. You know, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but John's book is really unique and he wrote it for a very specific purpose. And sometimes when you're studying uh, scriptures or you're reading a book, the Bible, there's like a sense of like, I I, kind of need to know the historical context to really understand why the author wrote it the way that they did, right? Well, in John, you don't. It's one of those books where he just flat out tells you. (laughs) So he's not hiding the ball at all. In fact, he mentions it near the very end of the book in John chapter 20. We read this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, the ones that he recorded. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, John's not hiding the ball. He's telling you right off, like, this is why I've written this book. I've written this book so that you would believe that Jesus is Messiah, that he's the son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. That's why I've put this together the way that I have. In fact, this word believe occurs in the book of John 100 times. 100 times he's trying to describe these encounters, and and you'll see there's some people that believe and there's some that don't. And time and time again, he's trying to induce and motivate and move people's hearts to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the son of God, and you can have life in his name. And like I said, John's a little unique for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which they actually record a lot of the same stories. There's a lot of overlap. They're you know, told from different lenses and slightly different audiences, so they're written a little bit differently. But John's quite a bit different, that almost 90% of it is unique material. 
Stuff that you don't find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so John was very purposeful in the things that he put together. It's the one book that has all the I am statements, for instance, seven statements where Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. He's trying to draw attention to the things that Jesus said, like when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the living water. And he's trying to draw the people reading this book to decide, do you believe that this is who Jesus says he is? Because this is what he said about himself. It's also the book that includes these seven miracles. And you can see here from the scripture in the back, he said Jesus performed many other signs and wonders besides this. But he specifically includes these seven miracles to give testimony to Jesus being the Messiah, being the Son of God, trying to induce his readers, into believing. And then finally, one of his main strategies is he gives us these eyewitness accounts, these stories of people that encountered Jesus for us to wrestle with and see how they experienced Jesus. And what's unique about all the stories is they're different. Just like your story is different from my story and how Jesus met me and how he met you. And we're gonna get a look at these different ways that Jesus interacts with people and what he does in their lives. And we're gonna see many people come to believe. And then we're gonna see many people choose not to believe, sadly. You get that? That's the purpose of him writing this book. He's not hiding the ball. He's trying to motivate people, move people to believe. But like we read in the prologue uh, during Advent in verses 9 through 12 of John 1, it says real clearly that there's some people that just don't recognize him, some people that don't receive him. They just don't, they don't see it. John chapter 1, verse 9, for instance, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Even though he made the entire world, he comes to the world, and people missed him. Not only that, he came to his own people, his own people, the Jewish people who had this rich history of knowing all the prophecies and were actually expecting a Messiah, and they didn't receive him. But some did, to those who did receive him, to those who did believe. There's our word again, believe in his name he gave the right to become children of God. You see this? You see this throughout this book, and I hope that while we encounter these encounters over the next five weeks, know that what John's trying to do is he's trying to give you a glimpse into someone's life, and he's trying to call you to believe in Jesus. We're gonna have some fun stories. We're gonna see him meet the disciples and see what they think about Jesus. We're gonna have great stories of people who were healed. We're gonna see the story of the woman at the well, all these people that believe, but we're also gonna see people who choose to reject Jesus. We're gonna see a whole mass of people after he feeds them just leave and decide they're not going to follow him. And then we're gonna find the particular curious case of um, uh, Nicodemus, who we don't quite know yet if he believes, but we get a hint maybe at the end of the book that he did believe, but in the first setting, he's just questioning. So these are the stories that we're gonna encounter. Y'all looking forward to encountering those together? I don't know about you, but I really loved our Advent series. And to tell you the truth, uh, sorry, Jake, but when you were teaching on these verses nine through 12 that are up here, I got very distracted and I couldn't follow the sermon because when we talk, when I, when I just, it just hit me really hard that day that there are people who do not receive, there are people who do not recognize, and I just couldn't get past it. I was sitting over there and I just think, kept thinking about my friends, my neighbors, the people that I love, and just thinking, man, I really wish that they would recognize him. I really wish that they would just receive him. Here we are in this Christmas season and, and there's people who just don't get it. They don't believe it. My heart was moved to believe, and my heart was moved with compassion for those that don't believe, and honestly, my heart was moved with conviction that God wants to use me to be a voice to people and try to help them learn to recognize and receive, and I've, I've grown weary in my, my conviction. There's more that I could do to do that with those whom I love, 
And so when I think about this new year, as we are kind of starting off a new year, uh, my hope for you that during this series is that you would believe, that you believe more. You know, our, our belief can increase. Think about the guy who said, help, my, help me overcome my own belief. Give me more belief. I believe, but give me more. My hope is as we journey together through these encounters with Jesus, that we will grow in our belief that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God. And that by believing in him, we will have life in his name. And my second hope for this series is that we'd also grow in compassion for those who don't yet recognize him, those that have not yet received him, those who have not yet believed, and be moved with conviction to tell our story and to tell them and point them to who Jesus is. Sound good? That's what I'm hoping. Because I know this, and this is the main point for the sermon today, when God wants to make Jesus known to someone, he sends people. He sends people like you and me, and he sends people like John the Baptist. So let's look at John the Baptist encounter uh, together. Now, you may not have noticed, but in the big, long prologue of John that's kind of dealing with all this cosmic truth, we skipped over a few verses. So if you were following, you might have said, hey, wait, why didn't y'all talk about verses six through eight? That's because it references John the Baptist, and we were going to tie it into this sermon, but we skipped over it. And I'll tell you something that's really interesting about these verses. They don't seem to fit, but I think that they really do. First John 1, 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might, there's our word again, believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, I'm not alone in finding this to be really strange. I read a lot of commentaries that said, this is real strange. People just don't know why in, the, in this prologue of John that's dealing with like, like really cosmic things of the eternity, of, of the Godhead and eternity and how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit created and how God sent his Son to dwell in the flesh and come dwell among men. It's all this cosmic stuff. There's just a few little verses about a man. And you're like, I thought this was all about Jesus, but they, they just put this in here. And I wasn't alone that a lot of theologians have said, man, this was really strange. We've got to wrestle with why he would put this in here. I don't think we can honestly be 100% certain why John included it. Uh, but I think the first encounter that we see in this prologue is going to help us understand. I think it has something to do with the truth that God's cosmic activity in the world is not only through Jesus, but it's through man. It's through men that he sends to testify and help for all these people that can't receive, that can't recognize, that do not yet believe, he sends people to help. As John says here, he was a witness. He was going to testify to who Jesus was. And that's part of God's cosmic, sovereign, awesome plan. Now, we know this too, because at the end of the book of John, when Jesus is sending out his disciples, one of the things he says is, as, I, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So this whole cosmic tale of how Jesus came to dwell among man, came from heaven to earth, he's saying that's the way you're to live in the world. You're supposed to go be incarnate and live at the places where God has you. I've sent you there as well. Now, it's true that God can communicate in all kinds of different ways, right? He could write things in the sky. He could give people a dream. He could give people visions. He could write on the walls like he's done in scripture. We read of these stories, but in almost every case, what he also does is he sends a person to come interpret what has happened interpret the dream, interpret what was written on the wall. It's God's joy to involve his people in his work. There was a man sent from God and his name was John. I want you to think about that phrase today. I'm gonna make you think about it pretty hard here. But there was a woman sent from God and her name was Brenda. There was a woman sent from God and her, her name was Melanie. 
There's a woman sent from God, and her name was Nolan. There's a man that was sent from God. His name was Camp. There's a man that was sent from God. His name was Caleb. There's a man that was sent from God. His name was Steve. Like we are sent the way John was sent. See, God sent John to be a witness, to testify about Jesus, to say, I'm not the light. He is the light. I'm testifying to him. And I'm so grateful that God sends people in our lives to do that. For me, that was in 1988. In 1988, I was a freshman in high school um, in a pretty bad place. Um, I had a real big struggle with my self-esteem. All my identity was wrapped up in football. And when I didn't make the A team that year and made the B team, I lost a bunch of my friends. Same time, my best friend moved away, and I just was really down on myself and started running with the wrong group of guys that actually was going to get me in some pretty big trouble if I continued to run with them. And kind of in a really vulnerable and broken place, a guy um, came into my life. Little did I know that four years earlier, in 1984, this guy named Barry and his wife, Lori, both uh, graduated college, got married, and they felt God calling them to go into full-time ministry with a ministry called Crew High School. And they would get planted from a whole other different state, Kentucky and Indiana is where they were from, and they would get planted in Carrollton, Texas, to start working at Newman Smith High School. Four years into their work there, Barry comes and he does a chapel service for our football team, I decide that I'm going to get involved in a Bible study with him afterward. I have no idea why I did it. But when I got involved in that group, that's where I first started learning about who Jesus was. And slowly I began to recognize who he was, receive who he was. And then ultimately at a conference in the summer of 1988 in Estes Park, Colorado, it all became very clear to me. And I believed in Jesus for the first time. There was a man sent from God. His name was Barry. Who is it for you? Who is it for you? Let God draw that person or those people to mind right now. Ideally, it was parents. That's the best. But maybe it was a friend, a classmate, a neighbor. I want this morning just for you to let God bring that person or those people to mind. And I'm not normally one that likes to make people repeat things, so I'll say you don't have to do this if you don't want to, but we're going to have a thing on the screen back here behind me. And I want you to see if you would be willing to insert the name of this person. And we can say these things together. You could say, there was a woman who was sent from God, and her name was. There was a man sent from God, and his name was. Or you can pluralize it. We can, make, we can get funky with it. You can say, there was a family sent from God, and their name was the Mosleys. There was a couple from however you want to phrase it. Get it to mind. You got it? You think you can do it? If you're willing we can say this together on three. Ready? There was a man sent from God, and his name was Barry. Isn't it amazing that God sent someone like that for you? That, too, was part of his, his, his sovereign, cosmic, perfect plan. And one of the things it should do, as you start to dwell on it, it should motivate you and move you to want to be that for other people. Would it be exhilarating if someone else was giving this sermon next year and someone put your name in it? Wouldn't that be exciting to be a part of what God is doing? It takes sharing the good news about Jesus away from being a burden, from being a guilt trip, to an adventure, like something fun that we get to be a part of God's plan in people's lives. When God wants to make himself known, he almost always, which falls very short of saying always, sends a person. And God invites you into the joy of being that person in other people's lives. The next question is, will you receive it? Will you see yourself that way? 
Will you see yourself like John's about to describe how he sees himself? Now we're going out of the prologue. Now we're going to his first actual encounter with Jesus, okay? Verse 19. Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer that we can take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Ultimately, like bottom line, who are you? John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, the Pharisees had been sent questioning him. Why do you baptize with water, John? And, or why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John said, but, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, the primary thing I want you to hold on to, and then I'm going to give a little bit of context here, is the primary thing I want you to hold on to is what John says about himself. What does he say? I'm a voice. I'm a voice. I'm the one that's going to be pointing the way to Jesus. I'm a voice. So hold on to that. But I think this requires a little bit of understanding as to why they were asking him all these questions about, is he the Messiah? Is he Elijah? So I want to give a little context to that. So the Jewish people hadn't heard from God directly from a prophet from hundreds of years. And they knew that there was going to be, if they studied the scriptures, they knew they were awaiting a long way to Messiah, but they also knew, particularly these religious leaders asking the question, that they were also expecting one like Elijah to come beforehand. And so they're asking, are you Messiah or are you Elijah? Are you a prophet, something different that precedes Elijah? Or where, where do you fit in the line of these schemes of things that we're expecting God to do? In fact, some of the very last verses of the Old Testament are found in Malachi, Malachi 4, when it says, see, I will send a prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful, dreadful day of the Lord comes. And what will he do? He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total desolation. So the Jewish people were awaiting not just a Messiah, but they were also waiting an Elijah-like figure, someone that would come to precede the Messiah. So that was already in their minds. That's why they're asking these round of questions. And there's another reason why they're asking these round of questions is because uh, the things that John was doing were very Elijah-like. In the book of John, we don't really get the context, but if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they describe kind of what John the Baptist's life was like. They describe that he was a wild man. <laughs> he, was, he was a Nazarite, which means he took a Nazarite vow, which meant he never cut his hair, never cut his beard, never drank any fermented drink, never drank grapes or wine, and that he would also avoid dead bodies. And he was a Nazarite because his father was a priest, and the priest, when he was doing some of his religious duties, an angel appeared to him and said, your wife is going to have a baby, and you're going to name him John, and he's going to be a Nazarite. And so he lived his whole life this way. We know, too, that he wore a, a camel's a, a, his, a cloak was made of camel skin, and that he lived off the land eating uh, honey and locusts, and he had a leather belt. Now, this is very similar to how Elijah was described, because in Elijah, if you read the few descriptions of him in First and Second Kings, he wore a, a, a cloak of animal skin. He wore a leather belt. And not only that, they both called people to repentance. That was their message, repent. And so they're starting to think, maybe this guy is Elijah. Elijah did lots of famous things where he called people to repentance, and John's baptism of repentance was baptism in water. That's what he was trying to do to prepare them to receive the coming Messiah. 
Since he did it on the Jordan River, I couldn't help but put up this photo because I got to baptize Brenda a year ago in the Jordan River, so this is pretty fun. I love that photo. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but I had to show it. <laughs> Very special. That is the Jordan River right there where John was doing all this. It literally could have been where this conversation was taking place. All that to say, there's no wonder that they're starting to say, wait a second, is this guy Elijah? Because he, he, he looks like Elijah. He's acting like Elijah. But here's the thing. There's been some confusion contextually as to why John would say, I'm not. Because they said, are you Elijah? He said, no. But we know that Jesus, when he talks about to the disciples about John the Baptist, he says that he was the fulfillment of Elijah. You can read that in Matthew 11 and Matthew 19. So what gives here with John saying no to this question? even though he knew that his father told him that he would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He had to have been told that story, yet here he doesn't tell. And I don't have an answer for you, but I have a couple ideas. It's possible that John uh, just didn't realize it yet. This was early on in, in his ministry and in Jesus' ministry, he's just about to get started. So maybe it's just that he didn't quite know yet that, oh, wait, yes, I do see where I fit in this plan now. And I, I do see how I am Elijah. I've come in his power in, the, in uh, his, his power. Um, that could have been the case. We know too that later on in, in John's ministry that he actually had, has sent some of his disciples to go question Jesus about some things. And so he does, we know that he had some doubts so maybe he hadn't figured it out yet. Second is maybe that he believed that he was actually coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah as prophesied to his dad, Zechariah, but there was really another Elijah-like figure that was gonna come. And so he didn't see himself as the fulfillment of the actual Elijah spoken about in Malachi which is also very possible because if you go back into Revelation, also written by John, at the end of Revelation, there's these two prophets that appear and give testimony. And most people believe those prophets to be Moses and Elijah that are gonna come back like in the flesh sometime, not in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but actually Moses and Elijah come back. So maybe he thought that so he could say no to their, their question, like, no, I'm not. I come in the spirit and power of Elijah, but I am not Elijah. Other possibility is that he was trying to protect Jesus. And we see this a lot from Jesus where he gets asked some pretty, pretty like direct questions sometimes and he won't answer them directly. He would even tell people that he healed, like don't go tell people about this yet. Like he, he knew there was a time when things were gonna escalate, but he knew that he needed to simmer things down at certain times. And so maybe John is just trying to keep it on the down low right now, I'm not gonna tell you. Or maybe a reason, and this one really comes out contextually, is that John just didn't want the attention on him. You see this in this passage where he's like, I'm not the light, he's the light. I'm not the person. There's one come after me that's so much greater, I can't even untie his sandals. You'll see it again in John chapter three when we get there. He's constantly deferring, trying to point people to Jesus and get his eyes off of him. Maybe that was the reason why. So among those four reasons, you can decide for yourselves, uh, but Jesus said that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now let's go back to what I told you to hold on to, right? The voice. That's what he ultimately responds to the question, who are you? And he says, I'm a voice like one calling in the wilderness, make way, the way for the Lord. He's saying, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm a voice that's pointing to him. He's saying that I am the voice, which is the word phone in, in Greek. You heard us talk a ton about uh, in the, in the prologue to, to John, this great powerful word of the logos, this, this embodiment of, of who Jesus was, that the word was with God and the word was God. He's the logos. John's saying, I'm just the phone. I'm just the voice. I'm the voice that points to the logos. I'm the one that's pointing to him. 
And he's quoting specifically from Isaiah 40. In Isaiah 40, what he's quoting is Isaiah was giving a prophecy about a time when the people were gonna actually escape Babylon captivity and they were gonna pave the way to go back to Jerusalem. They repent and go back to worship their God. And he's saying, make way, let's, let's, let's pave the path. And John's saying, I'm the one saying, let's make a path for the Messiah. Let's make a path to receive Jesus. John takes this identity on seriously. That's what he believes about himself. Now, I think we should too. That said, I think it's very fair to say, and it would be wrong for me not to say, John had a very, very special calling, okay? Very, very special calling, as, as prophesied about and the fulfillment of, and he was literally welcoming the physical Jesus and paving the way for the physical Jesus. Very, very special calling. But I don't want you to get lost and think that that doesn't mean that we're called to be the same way, that we're called to be testimonies, that we're called to give witness to what Jesus has done for us, because we are. Throughout the rest of the scriptures, we get Paul telling us that we're ambassadors for Christ, or we get Peter writing that we're all priests and Levites, we're all priests and kings. Jesus will call us, and one of some of his last words to his disciples is, you will go be my witnesses. And as I already stated, he said, as I have sent, as, Jesus, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. The way that I came in the flesh to a people to incarnate and point them to God, I'm sending you to go live among a people and point them to Jesus, just like John the Baptist. So don't let it tear you. Don't let it uh, keep you from thinking, well, that's a special calling. It's not my calling because I want you to know that it is. And what if you could not see yourselves as just a, a teacher or a lawyer or a mom, a classmate or an engineer or a travel buddy or a friend or a teammate? All those things are good. But what if you, through the lens of all those places where God has you, you saw yourself as a phone? I'm a voice. God has me all these places that I can give testimony to who he is and I can be the voice to these people. There are people in your lives right now that I could never, ever reach. I could never, ever touch. God has you there for a reason, to be the phone, to be the voice that points the way to Jesus. And when you accept this as your identity, as John did, you're gonna live as a voice and God's gonna use you to point other people to him. Whether they believe or not, that's, that's in God's hands but you get to be the voice that tells them who Jesus is and tries to help them like John writing this book to recognize, to receive, to believe in Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he's the Messiah, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. During my uh, single, single years, I was single about six years after college, and I actually lived eight houses down on 45th Street, just right, right around the corner, just right there was where I lived for those single years. Yeah, and I had a buddy that lived on 43rd Street, just right over here. He was also a believer. We were both campus ministers. And we said, hey, it'd be pretty cool. We wanna, we wanna be a phone to this neighborhood. We want to be a light, a witness to Jesus in this neighborhood. So we decided that we'd just start praying together once a week, praying for neighbors. And as we started praying together for neighbors, uh, we said, hey, let's actually just go knock on doors and ask people for, for a prayer request just to see what happens. We might get to know some people, find some people that we can pray with. And we do like a little spill. We go to the door and knock on the door and Say, hey, my name's Justin. This is Kelly. We're both Christians. Uh, we have a weekly prayer meeting where we just pray for the neighborhood. We're not trying to get you to do anything, go anywhere, believe what we believe, go to our church. In fact, we go to different churches, but we just pray for the neighborhoods and we want to know if we can pray for you. And you'd be surprised how many people would give prayer requests. We get probably 50, 60% hit rate of people sharing what was going on. And so we take those back in our weekly prayer time. We pray for people. We go check back up on them afterward and ask like, what happened? Like, can we pray anymore? Is there anything else? What did God do there? We've been praying for you. Just a way 
to try to be a little bit of a phone in, in the neighborhood. Well, one day I experienced what I consider to be the, the, one of the neatest experiences of my life. I knocked on a guy's door. I'd, I'd met his female roommate. I didn't know that she even had a male roommate. But I knocked on the door, did my little spiel like I just said, and his prayer request was this. Can you pray that I can find God? I said, oh, yes, happy to, happy to pray toward that end. Is that something that you'd like to talk about? He said, yes, but not now. I'm kind of cramming for a test, but let me, let's get together next week. <clears throat> well, I was blown away the next week when I got together with him because he told me this wild story. The story was that his, his brother had just become a believer a few months earlier, and his brother had already been being a phone to him from afar. They lived in different towns, different colleges, but he had been trying to witness to him just in his young faith. And he had just bought, a, my friend, his name's Brandon. Brandon had just bought a, a ring and planned to propose to his girlfriend that week. But his girlfriend just broke up with him that night. In his sadness, his despair, remembering some of the words of his brother, I'm sure, calling him to come to God, he just cried out to God, God, if you're real, make yourself known. <laughs> there I was. Brandon put his face in Jesus that day. Uh, he actually got involved. We were, I was a part of a church that met in this building. He got involved in this church, grew as a disciple, joined our prayer group, started going to door-to-door with Kelly and I, doing the exact same things. He's walking with God. He's raised in a nice, incredible family. He's an elder at his church today. Isn't that fun? There was a man sent from God, and his name was Justin. I don't, I don't say that with any pride. I just say it with joy. Because it's amazing to be part of God's cosmic, cosmic sovereign plan in someone's life. Like, what a, what a joy. What a joy to be a phone and point people to Jesus. John took on this identity about pointing people to Jesus, and we can too. We can decide today that we want to be that and the people that God has us with. If you'll amuse me again, I'm going to put this slide up here. This one's going to be easier because it's just your name, and I think you know your name. I'd encourage you to read this with me if you want to say this. And as you do, I'm encouraging you to take this on as your identity. Ready? Let's read it together. There was a man sent from God, and his name is Justin. Amen. If we take on this identity to be a voice pointing people to Jesus, the only remaining question is, what will we say? And that's what John does next. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. If you notice, if you were to read this uh, passage a little bit more carefully, these are happening in consecutive days. So there's one day it says that that's when he was getting the religious questions from the leaders. And then he's saying, I'm the one, I'm a phone, I'm pointing the person to Jesus. That's who I am. That's my identity. This is day two, and this is pretty wild. Jesus comes walking along, and so this time he says, points like literally, like, hey, behold, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. First, he proclaims who Jesus is. He's a lamb. Then he proclaims what he came to do to take away the sins of the world. Now, when he would have said this to his audience there, it probably would have meant a little bit more than it would mean for us today in our day and age, but when he would point and call someone the Lamb of God, Instantly, the, the Hebrew people would have had images drawn to mind. They would have thought about Abraham and Isaac and the story about Abraham just getting ready to sacrifice his son like God told him to. And right before he does, God steps in and says, nope, I'll provide the sacrifice. I'll provide a ram. 
they would have definitely thought about the Passover and the Passover lamb that they were told to kill and then put the blood on the post of their door so that when they judged, when God judged Egypt, he passed over all the households that had a lamb's blood applied to their door. They would have known that. They would have known from the priest that the priest had to give a, a morning and evening sacrifice of a lamb as part of the priesthood. So every morning there was a sacrifice. Every evening there was a sacrifice. And if they were wise and interpreted the scriptures correctly, which perhaps John already did, they would have thought about Isaiah 53 when Isaiah prophesied that there would be a suffering servant who would come to take all of our sin upon himself like a lamb led away to a slaughter. All of this image you would have come to mind. And he's saying, yep, that guy, he's here now. That's the lamb. And what has he come to do? He's come to take away the sins of the world. So after proclaiming who Jesus is, the lamb of God, what he's come to do to take away the sins of the world, the last thing he does is he shares his testimony. He shares about how he actually came to believe this. And this is really unique. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us the story of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus. But John's story in John chapter one skips it. It gets already after it's happened. And so what has happened here is Jesus has already been baptized by John. He's gone away for 40 days into the desert. And you know those stories where he went away to the desert where he was tempted and tried and prayed. And now he's returning back from the desert and he comes to the Jordan and John sees him and says, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then we pick up the story from what he he explains how and when he came to believe this. And it was at the time that he baptized Jesus. Listen to what John says in his testimony. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him at the time, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man whom you see the spirit come down and remain on, he's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify, this is God's chosen one. You see, John didn't always see Jesus this way. We know that their parent, their mothers were cousins, and so John was related to Jesus, and we don't know the extent to which, but it's likely that they spent some time together. And if they spent time together growing up, it would be hard to believe that this guy is the Lamb of God, right? Anyone want to believe that your brother would be the, the Son of God or a cousin be a Son of God? Likely not. We know that from Jesus' own family. His own family didn't really believe. James didn't believe until after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He couldn't do miracles in his own hometown because he said these people don't believe because they knew him differently. Whatever happened with John, he's saying, there was a time when I didn't know him. I didn't know him like this. But somehow when he started his ministry, God had told him, there's gonna be one that you baptize that's gonna be very different. There's gonna be one that you baptize that the Spirit's gonna come upon him and rest upon him in a way that remains. And when it does, you're gonna know that's the one. And so John here is just simply giving his testimony. This is when I began, this is when I believe this. This is what happened. This is what I expected. And this is what God did. And now I'm convinced and my testimony is, he's the chosen one of God. Other versions translate it, he's the son of God. So after baptizing Jesus, he came to believe that. And John the baptizer became John the testifier. He moved from being an unbeliever to a believer to a testifier. There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. When given the opportunity when God opens a door, or gives you the opportunity to speak to others about your faith in Jesus. We can simply follow John's pathway here. We tell who Jesus is. Say, hey, here's who, here's who I believe that Jesus is, that he's the chosen one of God. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. 
We can tell people what we think Jesus has done for us, that he ultimately came and he paid the penalty for our sins, that we might have a life in his name. And then to tell people how and when you came to believe that. And for all of us, that's going to be different. What was it? I just told you mine, the short story of mine. Yours is different. But tell people, here's how and when I began to believe this. And this is my testimony. He's the chosen one of God. John wrote this book that we might believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that in him we might have life in his name. We get to present that to our friends, to our families, if we take upon John's call and his identity to be a phone. That's my encouragement for us in this new year, is that one, we would believe and we would grow in our belief. And two, we'd let that move us to be a voice, to be a testimony like John was. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This is encounter number one. A day later, if you read the next verses, he's going to encounter some other folks, and that's where we're going to pick it up next week to get the second encounter. You'll see as we walk through this sermon series that the rest of John's gospel shows people believing in Jesus and people refusing to believe in Jesus. For us, may God awaken our hearts to believe, and may he use us as a voice, a phone, to call others to believe in Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now, and we will close by praying the Lord's Prayer and taking some communion together. invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer along with me when I get to that. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful. We're grateful that you brought people into our lives, the ones that we identified with earlier. You brought them to testify about Jesus. Thank you for them, and thanks for opening our eyes to recognize, receive, and believe. And you moved us from unbelief to belief, and now we just ask that you would move us from believers to testifiers, that we might be your voice to those that we love, uh, pointing them to Jesus, in whose name we pray and who taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we have our ushers prepare for communion and we begin distributing, I just wanted to have just a a moment of silence, give you a time to reflect on your testimony, maybe perhaps the people that God drew to mind, and then to reflect on the fact that Jesus was the Lamb of God that he took our sins upon him. Let's have a quiet moment of reflection. The band can play behind us. But spend this time just contemplating that, listening to the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Mm -hmm.